0: My guest on this week's episode of Southern Search is Emily Brady, Senior SEO Manager at Podium. Emily is a veteran digital marketer specializing in local SEO and content marketing. She is an in-demand conference presenter, a frequent podcast guest, and a must-follow on Twitter. I caught up with Emily shortly after she presented at this year's MozCon. The beginning of her speech was about reframing the way we think about local SEO. Today, local SEO is not just about GBP and putting city names in H1s. What's wrong with a conventional view of local SEO? How are local SEOs being challenged in new and exciting ways? How do you communicate this to small business clients? I'm going to ask Emily these questions and many more. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Emily Brady. We'll chat about schema for local businesses. We'll talk about her participation in the Women in Tech SEO group. And I'll spend a little time chatting about her gig at Podium. All right, Emily Brady, welcome to Susan Search. How are you doing?
1: Doing good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. I am really excited to talk to you. I heard all about this MozCon speech, and we're all coming down from the MozCon high. It's sort of, sort of the end of July. That was the beginning of July. But I want to talk to you all about your talk, which was about content and schema for small businesses. But before I do that, you started a new position at Podium in May of this year. That sounds like big news. How has the transition gone? And what's new at Podium?
1: Yeah. So I, yeah, started in late May. So Podium is still a little bit, a little bit new for me, but basically Podium, their whole mission is to help local businesses win. uh, And they do that through kind of a suite of different products, like SMS payments. A lot of people know them for their reviews or like website chat, things like that. Um, So it's adjacent to my background, which is SEO for local businesses. Uh, So that transition has been really, really fun because this is my um, like I'm very new to in-house SEO. So I'm doing in-house there, uh, but it's been such a great fit so far because I still get to feel like I am empowering small businesses and local businesses, but in a completely new and different way at a company that's been a lot of fun. So, so far it is all good things and I'm really happy to be there.
0: Well, QF the good work we're, we're noticing when yeah. you do have like a really impressive background in, in local SEO, but the, the MozCon speech, the first big takeaway that I had from it was to reframe the way we think about local SEO. So you mentioned that like local is more than putting the city name in the H1 or maybe like some really idiosyncratic thing on GBP. But before we can reframe the way we think, let's talk about the conventional framing. What does the average person think about when they hear about local SEO and why does that need reframing?
1: Yeah, I think And I I think this probably doesn't apply to everyone, right? Like I probably think about local SEO more, more than the average human does. But I think generally speaking within the industry, local is viewed as a subset of SEO. Like local is these specific things that you can do for local businesses outside of everything else. Whereas in reality, things like directory listings or, you know, Google business profile and, you know, finding that perfect suburb to put in your headers, all those things are just unique to it, right? So those are kind of supplementary to the bulk of local SEO, which is just any organic, you know, that you're doing for local business. So I think it's, I think it's easy because the local SEO community is so, and was for so long hyper-focused on things like directories and whatnot, that it started to kind of take its own life as being something different. When in reality, I don't think it necessarily is like, it's just the SEO you're doing for local businesses. So the reason I like to reframe it is it opens up new opportunities, right? Like we, if you're, Wholly focused on those unique aspects of it, um, then you're going to just be doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. But if you kind of broaden your horizons a little bit, it'll give you more competitive advantage. So that's kind of the premise for like re like reshape your perspective of what local is because it's more fun if you have more opportunities and like more things to implement opposed to, you know, staying within that that smaller grouping of things that are just specific
0: to local. All right. Well, awesome. Well, what I really liked about you- content for local SEO is that this really seems like something that is under discussed if I could say that in, in local SEO so I was talking to Amanda Jordan about this before where there's like this uh, rabbit hole that sometimes local SEOs can go down so like link spam gets like 10 times the amount of attention as like I actually work with it or um, old-school stuff like citations or something like that again and all that can kind of take our eye off the ball. So there's like an opportunity cost to doing that. A lot of SEOs is just like prioritizing tasks and triaging and what's most important. And I feel like content can be kind of like one of these things that, that is missed a little bit. Um, I, I wonder if you agree with that and if you have any idea why it seems like this is like the meat and potatoes stuff that actually really works, but the other stuff is kind of like what gets discussed a lot.
1: Yeah, totally. I agree with you. And I think, I think there are probably a couple of reasons. One is you just mentioned like citations and like link spam and all of that kind of stuff, which, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not giving SEO community enough credit for like how we're defining local SEO or ever thought about it. Because in the past, those things, that was Google's extent of understanding the value of a local business. So it made sense to focus on them. I think the reason content is important now and why I get excited to talk about content is because Google is a lot more intuitive, for lack of a better word, I know it's an algorithm, so it can't actually be intuitive, but it's more intuitive about the way that it understands what local business is relevant for a search. So it doesn't need those signals as much anymore. Hence, they're not as important. Hence, now we have things like content, like the on-site piece. And, um, you know, how do we actually leverage the value we're creating on a page to show that a local business or a specific location of a local business is the most relevant one. So I think that transition and also the redefinition of it uh, is partially attributed to a search engine's ability to understand as well. So now we don't have to think about leak spam as much and things like that because Google knows the you know is no longer it's not as heavily weighted things like that. so um, I think that's one reason. and then for me personally, like I think it's just kind of an untapped resource because it's hard to leverage every content opportunity for local businesses when you think about traditional like PR strategies and like publishing original data for backlinks and stuff like that um, a lot of local businesses are going to struggle to do that because that takes a lot of time and budget so you know it's easy to gloss over it because it takes time uh it's easier for larger businesses to do that but I do think it is important and I think there's a ton of opportunity for creativity there
0: I love it and I think one of the things I pulled out of your out of your presentation I really liked, and this is like the reframed now. This is we've reframed our brains. So it's like one of the things you said is that local is about connecting with customers at every step of the buyer journey. I love this quote. And I think it's a really a challenge for me to explain to our small business clients a lot of times why that's important. So, you know, like you talk to a you know I'm trying to get more oil changes. I'm not trying to learn about some journey that you're going to take me on. It's in that mentality. is like only bottom of the funnel traffic is all that matters. But you know, informational content, branded content, that that's important, and that's that's all uh, that's, that's going to make or break this this small business in the long term. So I think more than anything, this is a communication problem, if I'm being honest. Um, and I wonder if you have any tips for explaining that concept of a buyer journey to a small business person and how SEO plays into it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let, let me think about this. So I like the way you frame this question because now I'm, my brain is approaching it from like a new perspective a little bit. So like when you think about top of funnel, right, people are going to be asking those, like they're asking questions, like it's a query they may not even know that they need your help yet. So that's going to be like our first step is we want to create general awareness. So uh, in, in my, in a past life, I used to, a lot of the, the clients that I worked on when I was agency side were lawyers and right. the way people find, which are, you know, local businesses that have been, they're throwing money at marketing and SEO for a long time. So, you know, there's a lot right. of them doing, doing uh, organic search, but a lot of times when people need legal help, the first thing they're going to do is turn to a search engine and start asking those questions. So publishing content that satisfies those questions, even if it's not like, specific to like a neighborhood or a suburb or a city or something like that. Like, what do I do after this thing happens in my life? Or like, do I need an attorney for this? That kind of stuff can be really valuable at the awareness phase. Um, And then all the way through, you know, consideration and conversion, like let's talk about past cases that you've handled and start connecting those dots to people's real life experiences, whether that be a past experience with a customer that you can highlight to a new, a new one, or, as someone's starting to think through, like I may need someone to help me with this thing, uh, whether that be like a clogged toilet or, you know, uh, a legal issue, um, you know, they're gonna be thinking through like, how is this gonna impact me? So then finding ways where you can connect the dots between like how your business is gonna help them during every point in that journey, I think is where organic search comes in. And a big piece of that is providing the value for them, like answer their question, make it easy for them, like remove any doubt in their mind that you are the right choice. Um, you know, from that, like first search they do on Google all the way through, they're looking at your website and they see your like reviews or case results or whatever it might be. Um, that's probably how I would frame it to a business owner, but I would probably have to like sanitize that a bit and remove the SEO speak (laughs) from it. Um, but that's how, that's kind of where my brain goes and how I approach it.
0: All right. I love it. And I, I love that you use, you've used attorneys as an example, because after all, personal injury attorneys are known for their reasonableness and their ability to carefully I think they through but no I, I I wanted to pull out another another quote from your presentation which I really like this one too so which said that if it doesn't scale but it's good for your SEO your competitors probably aren't doing it so I love this quote and I like the inversion of the word like the the word to scale is always used in a positive way right like it's a positive thing to scale. But maybe in your presentation, you're suggesting to zig when everyone else is zagging. I hope you can kind of unpack this quote for me. How, how come things that don't scale but are good for SEO could give you a competitive advantage?
1: Yeah. So it is something where it's like, I hesitate to say, do the thing that doesn't scale because that's such, I mean, right. SEOs and anyone, like we love that word. If there's a process like doesn't scale. Uh, but the reality is there's some things that you can't, you can't fully scale, like, Uh, creating content like you manually have to have a human writing it generally speaking it's going to be easier that way to create value and to create unique content when you have an actual person doing it and that requires some heavy lifting Uh, yeah your content writer might get tired of all, (laughs) all the requests that you're sending their direction you know for like a hyper specific local content But if it's something that provides unique value, that's not something that you can necessarily automate. And the reality is, especially when you're working, you know, I'm thinking like multi-location businesses, if I have a hundred to like a thousand locations, it's going to be hard to do all of that manually. So for a smaller business, that's the competitive advantage that they're going to have is they can do it manually. You know, if you only have like five or 10 locations or even a hundred, maybe, you know, if you, if you uh, have enough resources, but yeah, the, the, the point is really we can try and like, maybe we'll get to a point where a lot of SEO can be automated and many things can be automated. Like automation is great and it saves us time, but the reality is it's not fully, we're not fully there yet. So there are these elements that are not getting done because it requires so much heavy lifting from just like a human and time perspective uh, that those are the ones where that people are going to gloss over faster, especially if they're trying to do it in mass for many locations. So I I just think it's such like an easy, it's like such a shortcut to like what you should prioritize when you're looking at, okay, how do I improve my website content and content being like not just the written word, but like anything that you're putting on the page that is for a website visitor to consume Uh, when you think about, okay, well, what are my competitors going to do first? Like what's easiest for them? Well, I'll just do the opposite of that. Uh, and I think that can pay off pretty well, especially, again, if you're working with just a handful of locations or you're like a small enough business that you can't do it manually.
0: I love this. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, kind of buck the trend. And I think that, that will work well in local SEO. So the other thing here is that there's a value question. So like you cover this in your talk a little bit where you really want to have unique value. And that's easier said than done for a locksmith in Tucson. So there's this excuse that's always there with uh, with local SEO, which is like, how do I make this boring thing I'm doing, like locksmith, or you, you mentioned like declogging a drain or something like that, where well, there are a lot of competitors who do the exact same thing. How, how do you stand apart, and how do you help a small business with that sort of like come up with that unique value that can set them apart from the competition?
1: Yeah, I think one thing. So in my talk specifically at Mozcon, I was speaking to location pages where it's like how do you differentiate them from you know, but there's another like unique value doesn't just apply to location pages. like that's what I chose to speak on, but this also applies to things like your service pages, like how much of that is boilerplate and how much of is it how much of it is actually describing the service, things like that. So having that mindset with whatever strategy you're implementing, I think is the first step. Um, I think for local businesses, even like a single location business, there's an element of give your customers like everything that you can possibly give them without doing the job that they're going to pay you for <laughs> before, you know, they like cross the finish line and actually like sign, sign up or like actually call you to help and stuff. So whether that be like, uh, like a walksmith, like, you know, how to solve as many problems as possible before you actually call a locksmith like that could really set them apart from competition potentially um and being being the guy that like answers their questions like this is locksmith that was like so helpful to me and now I really need someone because I can't do it myself so I think that's one way to set yourself apart from competition but when it comes to location pages specifically the way that I think about it is You have to actually justify creating another URL for every page that you have on your website and location pages. They're so susceptible to being just duplicative of each other and being basically like, uh, you know, little carbon copies with just a different address and a different header and stuff, because that's the easiest way to do it. So when it comes to actually like creating that unique value, just think of ways where it's like, does this actually necessitate a new page or... Am I just creating busy work for myself and like generating more, you know, more pages that aren't actually serving my customer in any way?
0: Unbelievable. Yeah, well, I love this. And I think these are all really good tips for our audience. One of the things that I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about was schema markup for small businesses. In your presentation, you point out that there are 145 types of local business schema. That's a lot. That's a lot more than I think I would have even guessed uh potentially this could be tough to scale out which is one of the pieces of advice but what are the benefits for small businesses that are willing to lean in and utilize schema markup in particular for those location pages
1: yeah yeah so schema schema i think is one of those things that's simultaneously used by everyone but also kind of an untapped opportunity for a lot of businesses because if you have a plugin on a wordpress site like it's probably adding local business schema for you even if you realize it or not. Um, But specifically what I talked about, I I kind of approached it from two angles in in my talk. One was there are all these items that you can add to your location page, like images or like staff bios. Uh, If you have a product, you can add review schema, your FAQs, all of those types, you can add to location pages and it's an opportunity to create more content, but it also uh, adds that like, specificity and disambiguates your content from you know any other similar content or even i'm thinking i'm trying to think of like a good example the example that i used in my presentation is the word avocado so if i'm talking about avocados on a website you could be talking about the mattress brand or the fruit schema can remove that ambiguity for a search engine. So that's one benefit, but it's also really helpful because you can use it to create rich results. So those really fun, or to be eligible for rich results would be the proper way to frame it. So those little fun dropdowns that you get in uh, search results for FAQs underneath uh, underneath a cert, that's from pulling from the frequently asked questions, like a thank you page schema that you could easily add to a location page and it helps you take up more space on page one. But really the those 104 so those are some types that I mentioned. Um, the 145 types in total, those are all of the more specific types of local business schema that exist under that local business schema umbrella. So when you're adding, you're, you're just overarching, like I am a local business, this is what I do, this is my address and my phone number, that type of schema choose the one that is most closely aligned with what you do because the vast majority, I would hazard hazard to guess, the vast majority of local businesses are going to fit into one of those specific uh, types, um, if that makes sense. So like, you know, like cafe or restaurant or legal service, things like that opposed to just marking up as a local business, like be as specific as possible because one of the benefits of schema is providing specificity and like giving that information to Google as a cheat sheet like on a silver platter all of this all of this data um so yeah it starts to get a little bit technical a little bit nerdy but that's kind of stuff that i find particularly exciting <laughs> so um yeah those are the benefits is that context and specificity and then of course you have the benefit of potentially getting rich results too
0: i love it and i thought about asking you to name all 145 types of local business but i <laughs> thought that would be less entertaining for our audience no. Um,
1: it'd be like reading a phone book.
0: <laughs> so last, last thing, uh, and this is gonna be an abrupt turn, but the women in tech SEO group, I spoke to Crystal Carter earlier this week. She mentioned the women in tech, her, her, friends at women in tech SEO. Uh, you know, this is one of the most exciting groups in our industry right now. Tell our audience how they can get involved. How can they support this group? What's going on and, and how it's been made an impact on you.
1: Yeah. So the women in tech group and the individual people within it, who I will, I will not name all of them, obviously, because there's been a lot of people who have helped answer questions and stuff. It's I'm most closely involved with the Slack group. So like if you ever have a question or an answer to give someone, um, it's just such a wealth of knowledge. So that's one piece of it, obviously. But then there are other initiatives and um programs within it that are, you know, helping educate and just knowledge sharing and creating a sense of community within the SEO community as as a whole that I think is really invaluable. I, prior to being involved in the Women in Tech group, my only real exposure to like the SEO community was through Twitter, which is such a, vol- like, it can be great. It cannot be great. You know, it was one of those things yeah. where I was very like wary wary of connecting with people because if you say the wrong thing everyone's going to be like you know calling calling you out for it and not in a nice way (laughs) so um yeah the women in the women in tech SEO group was one of the first times where I experienced people within the SEO community who were genuinely motivated by kindness and wanting to help each other because there was this kind of common this commonality of like we need to have more underrepresented people within SEO groups or the SEO community as a whole. So yeah, I, I love, I love the, the women, women tech SEO group. And then also just at MozCon, it was was such more of a reminder there because there were, you know, people who I had spoken to online or had, you know, knew their name, but hadn't met them. So actually getting to meet and engage with people was really awesome. Like I have been to MozCon before, obviously not as a speaker. That was my first time, but it it was such like a warm and welcoming environment this year that I think, um, yeah, it just felt like the actual Slack group like brought to life. Like it was so, it was so great. So, and it wasn't just, obviously it wasn't just the women in tech SEO people at MozCon who I was crossing paths with, but um, having people from that group like represented there too was really fun Um, and was just like a unexpectedly positive experience. Like I knew it was going to be good and fun, but it was just, like overwhelming almost how great it was. So um, yeah. So that was, that's kind of my, I don't know, that's my perspective on that group is like, it's an opportunity for women SEOs to give and to also learn from other people too. And it's, it's done that for me um, in a big way. And I, I just, yeah, I love it. That's
0: awesome. <laughs> and that's, that's great that you're, you're participating or you're leading the Slack channel. Um, we'll try and put a bunch of links into the show notes to make sure people can can find out more easily. Um, yeah. Emily, I think that's, that's all I've got time for. I, I want to make sure if people want to reach out to you or get in touch to learn more about Podium, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you mentioned Twitter, but what's your favorite social media uh, to for people to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, so Twitter, my Twitter handle is uh, Plot Boilers, P-L-O-T Boilers, um, yeah, which is kind of the only place that I am online <laughs> ever. Um, so yeah, that, if people ever have questions, like I generally check my check my DMs or I, I'm on LinkedIn, but way less often, and LinkedIn is less fun anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter, I love collaborating with people. Anyone who's in the Women in Tech SEO Slack, I also encourage people to reach out for me there. Um, and oh, also just for clarity, I'm just—I don't—I don't lead it in any way. Wow. I'm just there as a as a—I'm just PRing it as a participant who has benefited greatly. Uh, that credit goes to um, Arizan and people who have supported her and stuff. But I, yeah. So if you're in the in the Women in Tech group, anyone there, you know, my DMs are always open, and then on Twitter wow, as well. well awesome. And, and then Podium Podium is just Podium.com. If you want to learn more about the company, um, all that's that's easy all to. Right, well, awesome. Well.
0: <laughs> Listen, I have really enjoyed the conversation for those watching. Emily, you are a great sport with some technical difficulties here. and Thank you for bobbing and weaving with us. I'm gonna give you a virtual cheers for now. And for everybody listening, I'll be back next week with another episode of Suss Search. Thanks, Emily.
1: Awesome, thank you.